Welcome to Podcast with Cooper Cherry. We have a very fun episode in store for you guys this week. Andrew Stamper coming back to tackle the 80s action masterpiece by Paul Verhoeven, RoboCop. But first of all, Andrew, let me welcome you back on. It's been a couple of weeks, maybe a month or so. I know, I know. It's been a while. Thank you again, yeah. as always, for having me. Yeah, this, this should be a fun one. I don't know if you have the level of enthusiasm for this film that I do, but this is one that I've been wanting to talk about for a long time. I admittedly, I haven't seen this movie in you know a few decades, but uh, it was fun revisiting it, you know, and uh, definitely looking forward to <laughs> breaking this one down. Is this a movie that, I, for, me, for me, this is one that just stands out, out among my childhood films as just one that I loved as a kid. Uh, you know, I was like, pro- I was probably like five, seven, six, five, seven, eight, somewhere in that range mm-hmm. when I saw it and just absolutely was mad for it. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I was really allowed to see this movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. um Maybe this might explain a lot of the differences between yeah, us, right? Yeah, like, I, I, think, I think I did see it, and then, like, my mother or my aunt or my father was like, yeah, no, 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 no. I think uh, when, you know, we're going to talk about it, like, I think uh, <laughs> I think it got turned off relatively early. <laughs> um, and yeah, that, I can yeah. see that happening. But somehow the movie Terminator slipped through the cracks. I So I, I think I, I saw that a ton as a kid. Um and then, but yeah, RoboCop, I, I think I've, I've made, you know, and I've, I've probably seen it on TBS or something, you know, like over the years, but definitely not like a, a super, um, you know, don't have a, a ton of background for, like from my childhood on this one, which is weird because tons of, uh, whether they're campy or good or whatever movies, I saw everything in the eighties, but yet this one somehow slipped through the cracks for the most part. Interesting. Um, but we'll just jump in. So a couple of quick facts, I guess, like I mentioned, this was directed by Paul Verhoeven, who has also done a number of other films, classics like Total Recall. Now that movie I saw a billion <laughs> times as a kid. I've, yeah, I've seen that one quite a bit as well. Um, Basic Instinct, he also did. Starship Troopers. Yep. Yeah, definitely. And then the notorious uh, Showgirls as yeah, well. Yeah, Showgirls, Yeah. But yeah. also, I think Hollow, Hollow Man as he well. He did Hollow Man. Yep. I, mean, I think he, like, um, you know, is doing, like, foreign films again. And um, I think he had, like, a, a Golden Globe winner a couple of years ago. But a uh, Paul Verhoeven is a Dutch filmmaker. The budget for this film was only $13 million. Can you believe that that's so minuscule i mean Mm -hmm. obviously yeah 1987 dollars i don't know how that translates but it's probably got to be less than i would say 50 yeah 50 mil yeah 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 and especially you know the way uh, a lot of movies were coming out i mean really wasn't that substantial of a budget definitely so really impressive to pull this thing off yeah um most of the film was actually shot in dallas Mm mm-hmm because they thought it looked futuristic, which kind of makes sense. I could see that, especially in the 80s, right? having lived um, in uptown Dallas for a few years with, uh, especially, um, and I think Verhoeven even mentioned this in the director's commentary, that he was very attracted to, so there, the, the tallest building in downtown Dallas is the Bank of America building, and it's sort of a glass, really tall, and it has 
it's kind of got these multiple edges to it um, that are outlined with like green light. Mm -hmm. And so apparently during the filming of this, the lights were out. (laughs) And then like (laughs) as soon as they stopped filming, the lights were fixed on that tower. Uh, I thought it was really interesting that the same, they used the same color as they did because I was living there in like 2010. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that they just kept the same color that long. Yeah. Um, they also shot some in Pittsburgh. I think the the steel mill scene mm-hmm. as well. Um, but I also wanted to mention, I don't know if you were going to talk too much about this, but Basil Paladoris did the score for the film, and he had also done Conan mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Which I think the score is one of the highlights of the movie, though I didn't really focus too much. There was so much else going on. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure that I noted that before we sort of forget, <laughs> because it is great. Um, so we'll do a, we'll do our synopsis and then we'll jump into the acting. Sure, I mean, do unless you, wanna... you have some other, you have anything else you wanted to? No, but I think you got to tell the audience what this movie is about for you know for the three people that haven't seen this film at some point in time in their life. Right. Um, so this is a so we start out with. Um, I guess the young man Murphy is- first day in the uh, in new district, right? Yeah, first day in first in day Detroit, on the job on the job in Detroit, and partners up with uh, his female colleague, and they go out on their first <laughs> their I guess their first patrol and encounter a gang led by Kurtwood Smith. And I think they're in some, I don't recall the actual inciting like incident, but they, you know, there's a high speed car chase and <laughs> some pretty funny moments there that we'll talk about later. Anyways, they track them down to a, an abandoned warehouse sort of scenario. Murphy is brutally killed. Um, in epic fashion. <laughs> yes. One of the most brutal scenes that, I mean, this definitely stuck in my mind as a kid. Mm-hmm. And it's like I could. It's something that I, you know, can always my mind's eye always goes back to. Um, but anyway, so the, apparently, as being part of the police force, Murphy had agreed to some sort of, I guess, OCP, which is this conglomerate company, sort of a defense contractor slash. I don't even know. They get into a lot of uh, nonprofit or sectors that were typically nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And there's some type of agreement. I guess they could utilize his body after he passed away. And so um, the company had also tested out a sort of, I don't know, you would almost call it a mech-like drone. Yeah. The ED-209, which ended up killing a one of their executives. <laughs> or a junior executive, man. Also brutally in front of the entire board, which kind of pisses off the CEO. And so he shut, shuts down the ED-209 program, which is actually led by our antagonist, or one of our antagonists, good old Dick Jones. And so then um, our one of our other, I guess, I don't know if he's a, you call him a, a good guy or not, but Bob Morton. Yeah, Bob Morton. Played by Miguel Ferrer. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. Spectacularly, I might add has a sort of backup plan where they, I guess, are going for more of a cyborg approach to this problem of, or this, I guess, idea for drones or what have you. And so his project gets green light. They utilize Murphy 
Um, and yeah, he becomes essentially the cyborg cop and he goes out on patrol and then eventually sort of he's so since he's a cyborg, he's, I guess, retained some of his organic parts of his body. And apparently there's he has a soul or something remains mm-hmm. inside of him from from his past life. And that begins to sort of um, drive him and he gets a little bit of agency and so forth and sort of winds up tracking down um, Kurtwood Smith's gang and bringing them to justice as well as ultimately in the end, Dick Jones. And we have a very triumphant finale where mm-hmm. where he's killed. But that's sort of the long and short of, of the plot. Yeah. Yeah. Sums it up. Cop, first day on the job, gets shot up, gets uh, reborn as a robot, and uh, yeah. And then saves Detroit. <laughs> so the film stars Peter Weller. Peter Weller plays RoboCop or Murphy, a.k.a. Murphy. Nancy Allen as his partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it Ann Lewis, I think? I don't... I, I Ann only, Lu- yeah, okay. Ann Lewis. I only knew her as Lewis. I, yeah. Dan O'Herlihy is yeah. the old man, the CEO of OCP. Kurtwood Smith, a.k.a. Red Foreman. From that 70s show. <laughs> from that 70s show, but Clarence Boddicker in this film, which is... Boddicker is a great name for him, I think. Mm-hmm. Miguel Ferrer as the hotshot exec at OCP, Bob Morton, uh, Ronnie Cox as well, playing Dick Jones. And Ronnie Cox, had um, people probably recognize him from Beverly Hills Beverly Cop. Beverly Hills Cop, exactly. Um, <laughs> so these are just a, a great guy cast. in Beverly Hills Cop. Just a great cast, I think. Each one of these guys really nailed it, I think. Yeah, I think um, as far as performances go in, you know, just a ultraviolent shoot right. up you know, kind of stellar, you know, like really, really top to, you know, um, top to bottom, really good performances. I mean, just stellar cast, just really, really good. So Ver- Verhoeven said that Kurtwood Smith was excellent at improvising. And I think you can probably pick out yeah. some of the moments yeah. from the film that he improvises. But apparently, he was just phenomenal with even some and some of the little choices he makes throughout the whole film. Um, I think he is he might be the highlight in terms of acting in this film for me, and just being such a bastard, mm-hmm. such an evil, twisted bastard. But I don't know. There was something like that. He had a bravado that was like I don't know. It's yeah. kind of funny. Like. You kind of hate, you were sort of intimidated by him, but you didn't hate him necessarily, right. even though he's a like scumbag. He's a great villain, you know. There's there's this thing with a really good villain, right, where you hate them, but you love watching every second that they're on camera. And Kurtwood Smith in this movie is just that. He yeah. he fully got into the Boddicker role and loved it, and just knocked it out of the park, and seemed like he had a really good uh, good time at it. One of his best scenes, and I think most people will remember this, is in the initial chase whenever, so they're in, I guess Murphy's in the cop car. I can't remember if Lewis is in there or not. I'm pretty sure they are together at that point. And they're in this huge van, almost kind of resembling what, like a, I don't even know what you call it. But so they, it's got like the back, the rear doors that are open. It's like a giant ice cream truck. Yeah, that sort of thing. 
yeah, good call. Like a Mr. Softy truck. Yeah. And so he, I, I think one of the guys gets shot. His name is Bobby, and he <laughs> chunks him and <laughs> picks him up and chunks him into Murphy's windshield. Yeah. But as saying, he's like, can you fly, Bobby? And then just chunks him. Just throws uh, him on top of the windshield of the uh, the cop car, yeah. Which is fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, there's some other moments. So then late um, in the Murphy execution scene, whenever he shoots off Murphy's oh, hand man. with the shotgun, yeah. they're like, give this man a hand. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was great as well. That whole scene was super, super brutal. Oh, yeah. They just... Um, apparently there's like an NC-17 yeah, X-rated cut of this. movie was originally X-rated and they had to, you know, I think they had to get rid of the, the shot of him like blowing off like his head, you know, like a Porsche. So they got, they, they nixed that scene and another scene where that junior executive like got shot up. They, they trimmed a couple seconds from that, but yeah, you know, they, I had this book when I was a, I don't know, like. 20 years ago, it was like ultra-violent movies, and that was one of the things they talked about was how that uh, it was originally X-rated. And then, uh, God, another great one is whenever he goes to the... It's funny to even say this, but I, I will just call it the drug factory, the cocaine <laughs> factory, for lack of a better term. And he's talking to the guy, and he like dips his fingers in the... In the in the guy's wine mm-hmm. and like sticks him in his nose like I, what the what the fuck was that but it worked I don't yeah. know something was really weird but and I like that, that I like that improvised moment yeah but know? I like that dude's kind of like whatever he takes a sip from it like yeah you, right you, that you, too yes. yeah that's I'm like I'm like that's nice man he's like I'm not gonna be intimidated by this prick right that was pretty good um, <laughs> yeah um, and then he's like so they get into a heated argument and both posses kind of pull out their guns and Kurtwood Smith is like, guns, 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 guns. <laughs> <laughs> the Tigers are in town tonight. <laughs> Which was so brilliant. And then he like does a little like drum tap on the desk. Yep. Just fucking great. You can, you can tell this is likely all improvised by, by Smith. Or just when he like straight up goes into OCP, like all like, like after he had been like arrested, like next day and he's just like casually like going on in there. I think it was like after he had been arrested, he like, just casually, like he's hitting on the secretary, and um, and he has that great scene with Ronnie Cox. And I think they, I think both of them took a couple liberties in the way that 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 scene was done. And uh, but yeah, Kurtwood, killer. So funny story about the actress that played the receptionist. They ended up getting married like a year later. Who did? Kurtwood Smith. Oh, ended did up he? Marrying oh, that lady Because okay. I forget what what does he tell her? He says something like. Do you have an opening in your schedule? Can you fit me into your schedule or something like yeah. that? Mm-hmm. And then he's like chewing gum and he like takes it put his, it puts it on like her name, like a nameplate, yeah, nameplate, yeah. Which probably also is an improvised moment, but how hilarious that 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 you know that turn of events. Dude, that's occurred. awesome! I didn't like know a that. super sexist kind of yeah. thing, but <laughs> then in real life, it I don't know, it's yeah, just so bizarre and ironic. Um, I do like a, an early line from the old man. Um, I love that's his name, like the old man. <laughs> when he says, oh, he, because he has this very like Irish accent. Yeah, it's very interesting cadence and, and vocal sound. Old, old Detroit has a cancer and that cancer is crying. Mm-hmm. Something like that. It's the best I can do. <laughs> it's not bad. Yeah, that guy, uh, uh, I forget his name again, but yeah, he, 
He was a uh, bad guy in Halloween three. So you know. Oh yeah. Yeah, Halloween three, where they had the uh, the, the toys, uh, like the masks. Yes. And yeah. Oh yeah. Fuck yeah! I remember that. Like yeah. the, the pumpkin mask. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was a bad guy in that. Interesting. So he's also he also makes a reappearance in the second in the sequel to this. And they definitely made it. He was a little bit more evil. Really? Yeah. I didn't even think this he was. He was. E- he wasn't evil in this. He wasn't outright. Yeah. Not blatantly, but they definitely ratcheted it up in in the second film and mm-hmm. made him more like the primary. Well, one of the primary antagonists. Mm-hmm. And here, I think he's definitely. You know, ultimately, he's a bad guy for sure, as CEO of of, of OCP, OCP. Yeah. But, but he's not, not Ronnie Cox. A, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. In comparison to the other guys, he's not as blatantly evil. But what about our our good boy, our good friend uh, Miguel Ferrer? Holy yeah, man. shit, he was so good. He was really impressive as a cock. Like just he pulled off the cockiness and the swagger of Dude, Morton he, he, so well. He really was like in the eighties version of like who the characters that we that we saw in American Psycho like were trying to be like in nineties. Like, oh, right. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> good call. Uh, he was that guy, you know, like doing blow off hookers, you know, um, and just had that, you know, this swagger and uh, just trying to fit in, you know, like. (laughs) Oh, man. One of my favorite lines from him, and this is, I think I might mention this in the writing, but it's just too good to pass up. And whenever, so he's riding the elevator down after he gets the RoboCop program greenlit. Um, he's riding down with the black guy, the mm-hmm. black exec Johnson. I don't know. No, I don't know if it's Johnson or not. I just called him the yes man. <laughs> right. Oh, baby food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, he's like, what did they say? Oh, he's like, uh, too bad about what's his face. And he's oh like, yeah. Life in the big city. Yeah. <laughs> that was so great. Uh, uh-huh. the timing, just like there, a great one liner. There were a few, so like, good. and a few things he said were just kind of like cliche lines. And, but he, he says it with a, that the way that he delivers them, it, it, it just, it, it works pretty good because I mean, he uses like a couple baseball metaphors as well. Um, and I, I forget, but there are a couple other lines that he says, if I were just pull up the screenplay, but a few things that he says are just kind of cliche lines, but the way that he delivers them, there is some type of, Wait, and it just doesn't. It doesn't. It it kind of loses a little bit of the campiness. It just it's just kind of a good performance. One of the other best scenes with him is when he's talking shit about Dick Jones in the executive bathroom, mm-hmm. <laughs> and Dick Jones is there, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> comes then, out, and then he comes out and he runs his hand like without wiping, you know, like without like washing his hands, like so, like the hands that held his dick and like wiped his own butt, you know, he's running <laughs> through Miguel Ferrer's uh, uh, hair. <laughs> What a and what a weird little like homoerotic thing yeah. there too, and I think the if I'm not mistaken, the writers even mentioned that as well, or maybe Verhoeven did hmm. about that being sort of intentional. There being some kind of weird little yeah subtext there. Just fucked with the wrong guy. Oh, the line was uh, too bad about Kenny, huh? That's life in the big city. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Kenny. Uh, just being that junior executive, man, just getting just shot. Just getting wasted. Just shot to shit. Him, like his death and Murphy's death. I think, I mean, I'm watching those scenes and it it real specifically Murphy's, but like Kenny's because it obviously happens as well, but it's very reminiscent to like Sonny and the Godfather where you just see just 
you know, uh, a likable character specifically, you know, we're talking about Murphy, uh, kind of like a central character, i.e., you know, Sonny Corleone, just getting shot to absolute shit. And it, it's like, oh man, I mean, it, it, it's just brutal. It's never ending. You just see just like, just, just completely just shredded. And then Kenny, oh, also in that boardroom scene, somebody says, call the paramedics. Like, oh yeah, I forget what the exact line, but it was like, uh, God damn it, can somebody just call a paramedic? Or like, it was just like, dude, the guy's dead. <laughs> you know, a paramedic ain't gonna save this guy. Right. He's completely, he's done. You're done, son. Yeah. Um, but our and boy- he's trying to hide and people are like pushing <laughs> away, like, no, man, you're taking me down with you. What's interesting in that scene, too, from that boardroom window, you can see actually one of my favorite buildings in downtown Dallas is the Fountain Place building. And it's this, this, all glass sort of pyramid like building. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. It's really cool. I definitely recommend anybody anybody who hasn't looked at it take a take a glance. Google the uh, Fountain Place building in in Dallas. Cool. I think it's even an IM Pay building. The famous architect, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Do I, I? I can't help. I, <laughs> I know nothing about Dallas. But yeah, really really cool building. So it's funny to see that too. Um, out the window mm-hmm. definitely looks futuristic i can definitely see why that's probably a big reason why they chose dallas because that's a super futuristic looking building right um but uh, i want to talk a little bit about our star of the film peter weller mm-hmm. who i think does a great job he has such a distinct voice right because he also has done some work now lately on the history channel and some more historical things and you just recognize something about his voice is just great. It's perfect. For yeah. That sort of it's thing. an awesome voice. It's uh-huh. like, it kind of really has a really deep, unique sort of tone. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's I don't know, Midwestern kind of roughly, mm-hmm. but something about it. And I wonder how, I wonder if they put any vocal processing on his, on the voice too, because it has sort of a weird. Oh, when he's in the suit. Yeah. Probably. It kind of sounds like, it has a little bit of a, I don't know, a reverb or something. On yeah. It. Imagine they had to. I mean, yeah, there, there was something something a little bit different, obviously. But so one of the interesting things about the performance is that in wearing the suit, he had to study. He studied a lot of movement, um, did a lot of work with like hockey, I think hockey pads on mm-hmm. because everything had to be extremely exaggerated to really come through with the suit on right and i was reading that he had studied or watched um the eisenstein sergey eisenstein film ivan the terrible as well as something to do with i guess some of the movement i don't know he studied that film Mm -hmm. which i thought was kind of interesting i don't know how familiar you are with with eisenstein not even not even uh remotely familiar no but I, I did love his movement. Um, obviously, you know, he's playing a cyborg. Uh, so, you know, like his moves are very like specific and deliberate. Um, but there is like the jerkiness of it. It's like watching. Oh, God. Um, it's kind of like reptilian or like bird like just the way that like when he he make it, you know, because they're like when a bird moves, it's not very like fluid. They, they just right. they're just kind of. Like, so well, like when he would turn his head and then his body would turn, um, really neat, uh, kind of movement that he, that he did. And so I, I, 
imagine with all that crap on there, that was, you know, kind of a, a lengthy process. So, but I loved it. I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, we talk about his acting and we're talking about his voices, but the movement to obviously in wearing all that, I mean, that's, that's kind of a character in itself, that costume, you know, that, uh, that he was in. So, um, loved it. Love Peter Weller. And I think in two scenes, it really stands out what you're, what you're referring to in his sort of nightmare sequence where he's in yep. the chair and he's yep. like sort of jumping around a bit. And then as well, um, the scene where he's getting shot up by all of the cops and escapes in the sort of his posture and his movement in the, you know what I mean? When he's taking in all that gunfire and then rolling there's that from floor to floor. But one of the things I, I mean, it's such a subtle like a uh, thing, but like even when Lewis approaches him for the first time and oh, she yeah. calls him Murphy and you know, he has his pause, but then when, you know, he's, kind of like done with it. You know, he takes a step back and then he does that, that little jerky thing to like get around her and uh, like, you know, like veer left. Um, it's just such a small little moment, but it, it, it was re- it was actually one of like my favorite little shots in the movie is just when she's like Murphy and he has that recognition where like, you know, am, you know, do I come is, am I more than just a robot? And when he just kind of like disregards it and, you know, he does his little head, like his head tilt and, his body then, you know, follows behind. But yeah, there was that, or even when he's shooting everybody and he's doing those like cool. Yeah. Like, right. He's like, no look, no look behind the back and yep. shit mm-hmm. in the drug factory. Yeah. Yeah. The drug factory. <laughs> uh, but uh, let's, let's see. Nancy Allen, actually, interestingly, I don't know if you encountered this, but they wanted her to cut her hair short. Well, yeah, I mean, she was like uh, de- desexualize her so that the yeah. sort of relationship between Murphy and her was not um, there wasn't like a sexual undertone yeah. or like attraction there. Yeah, Nancy Allen was a babe back in the day, but she was quite good. She was a very, you know, she was excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, but actually, so that brings to mind that final scene at the um, at the steel mill where they've just like killed all the all the bad guys like Boddicker's just died and she's, she had just shot him, I guess with that crazy weapon they had given the crew to destroy RoboCop. And another great moment by Weller is, and this is the writing too, is where he's like, they'll fix you. Yep. Or what does she say? She's like, Murphy, I'm, I'm a mess. Yeah. I'm a mess. And he's like, they'll fix you up. They fix everything. Mm -hmm. Oh, so good. Um, and then we have two, I think, smaller roles that we'll just mention that I think have just a couple of lines or a couple of scenes that are quite good. And I forget the actor, but the, uh, damn, I'll have to look him up real quick. But the guy on the, the guy that ends up driving into the, the, the toxic waste, the toxic waste, um, whenever he approaches that gas, get, uh, the guy at the gas station, mm-hmm. <laughs> And he's like, you a, you a college boy? <laughs> Are you smart enough to dodge a bullet? It's a great scene. Yeah, I love I love the gas station scene. It, it's a good one. It's yeah. definitely good. And then he's like, we killed you. Yeah. Yeah, that like that that whole scene was really, really well done. I don't know who that actor is. It's Paul, Paul McCrane. What else has he done? Do you anything? Uh, let me look. He's definitely been, I definitely recognize him. He was in ER, Fame, The Blob. The 1980s Blob? 
Uh, With Shawnee Smith? Yes. All right. Yeah, the 88 blob. And Kevin Dillon. No, I'm going to have to watch that. Dude, while you're just researching that, yeah, The Blob, 1980s, not a good movie. Not a good movie at all, but I've seen that thing a dozen times. It looks like he's been in a lot of, he's done a lot of TV work, Touched by an Angel, Life with Louie, The Practice, X-Files, some, probably some uh, Chicago Hope, uh, Shawshank Redemption he was in, actually, apparently. Um, another, God, we didn't even mention this, but Ray Wise is in this film as well as part of Boddicker's crew. He really doesn't yeah. have a whole yeah. lot in terms of speaking, but he's... And then he gets blown up. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think Felton Perry. Uh, okay, he was Johnson. He was John... No. Maybe that's wrong. I think it was him. Felton Perry was Johnson. He's the guy that sort of had that... Wore the military gear he had, like, on the beret and the sunglasses all the time. I'm trying to remember him. Um, he kind of laughs. He's got. He's like, ah. oh yeah, 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 yeah. He was really good, um, especially in that scene where like Lewis approaches him and he's like taking a piss. Yeah, and he like stops. I just love. I, I think my favorite though is because I mean we'll, we'll probably tackle like themes later on, but uh, when he gets himself the the six thousand sux and uh, um. Kurtwood Smith uh, grabs that gun and just blows, blows it to shit. Yes, that was so great. He's like, oh, man. Yeah. And then he gets it and blows up that other dude's, I think, right? Uh, if I'm not mistaken. I don't, yeah, I don't remember. But I, I just love when uh, Kurtwood is like, yeah, all right, fuck this guy. I'm going to go ahead and blow up his car. All right. Any uh, any other acting notes or not necessarily performance yeah. you want to talk about no nothing you know I, I think again we've kind of touched on it. everybody i thought did a really really good job i mean for what this movie is i mean the performances are really really solid very strong yeah, i'm not definitely. saying i'm not saying like oscar caliber but they're i don't think there's anybody that that phoned it in i think the performances were were solid definitely not what you would expect in a yeah. mo- in a movie like this for yeah sure uh, one last note I wanted to, I forgot to mention this too, but another great choice that Kurtwood Smith made is in the scene with, where he kills Bob Morton with that grenade and he like pulls the mm-hmm. pin out with his tongue yep. and like the way he sets it down is, is great. Dude, can we talk about how good of a shot everybody in this movie is? Like, I mean, because you have, uh, Boddicker, you know, like he, he shoots, uh, Morton like four times, you know, like, uh, both legs like the same spots on both sides. <laughs> um, and like one shot, uh, Lewis goes ahead and blows up uh, Ray Wise, uh, you know, from a couple hundred yards away. And every everybody, like, yeah, it was the 80s. Everybody was a good shot. They could, they could hit anything. And I'd, I would actually say, I would make the argument that that is absolutely intentional because this movie is a- absolutely satirizing sure. the 80s, sure, 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 sure. the genre itself. Yeah. So that's, probably a a choice that was deliberate <laughs> i'd like to say um but we'll uh we'll go forward with uh cinematography and i i don't think this film has a lot to offer cinematically as far as the you know very impressive camera work or anything like that overall like it's mostly kind of s- straight up pretty just you know unremarkable but does a good job of telling the story no mm-hmm. doubt i love the vignette scene like uh like the the rebirth the way that they 
everything is done from like the the oh yeah the point of vision that side. yes absolutely so I was actually gonna say that that stuff which they actually had a camera mounted onto a chair to get those you know low angle shots mm-hmm. so that scene all that sort of stuff was great but also where they I think really pushed the envelope and did something really cool and interesting was Murphy's sort of the hospital trip where he's after he's been just shot to hell mm-hmm. his whole trip through the emergency room oh right mm-hmm. and you know they kind of they're running him down the hallway and you get this these shots from the gurney and you get these really intense lights mm-hmm. you know from the hospital just like they really captured the way those lights you know what I mean it's like when you go to the dentist and they have that yep really fucking bright light yep mm-hmm uh, something about the way that that looked and like he's flashing, he's getting those dream sequence flashbacks and the lighting and the just frenetic pace of all of yeah. it. You really get that. I don't know. It really communicates that sort of like your feeling of your life passing before your eyes, mm-hmm. I think. And then like the, you know, even with the, the paddles and it's so like visceral and yeah. then he flatlines. Uh, just a really superbly done scene. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that scene, in terms of the cinematography, for me, is the highlight, absolutely, by mm-hmm. far. Um, but there's definitely, like, that. that's a good, you know, tactic, mounting that camera on the chair to get those really interesting shots mm-hmm. from the RoboCop point of view when he's, when he's sitting in that chair. I'm also a big sucker for stop motion, so when they, with the, um, the 209, I kind of like, even though... Even though obviously uh, stop motion is so dated, and we don't use really that in live action film now that we have CG, but that obviously wasn't something that was available at the time. But um, just the the way that they were able to get a couple of the uh, the shots with uh, the two hundred nine and um, and RoboCop, the way that they uh, like, because um, I think there was even like a stop motion. Uh, where they actually did the same thing with RoboCop because you see this one scene where you've got the the 209 and RoboCop in the same in the same shot, but it looked like they 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 stop motioned RoboCop himself. They made a miniature of him as well. So they had definitely for some of the scenes, and I think the more where the Ed 209 is stationary, they actually had a giant model built, mm-hmm. and then they also would do some of the stop motion too, which I thought kind of doesn't hold up as well. And some like it definitely didn't hold up like looking like at the time it was, it came off perfectly. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, there you can tell stop motion, but I, like I said, I'm, I'm a sucker. I enjoy it. I, I like, I, I, I it'll make me laugh, but yeah. uh, sometimes I, I think some stop motion. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> that was the most jarring thing for me. I mean, I've seen it since, but it had been a while. I forget how long ago it had, but there had been like a maybe 10 or 15 year period where I hadn't seen the movie. And then I watched it again. I was like, whoa, this this definitely feels a little bit dated. But yeah. Not, it's not, it's not bad. You know, mm-hmm. it's not terrible. There's definitely a lot worse effects that I've seen. And that's just, and that's one of the things is I, I feel that CG is pretty darn near there now in 2018, but I think I would still take stop motion over like the early era, like CG or oh, yeah. like some stuff like just looks so bad. Like if you were to go and turn on shoot like volcano or, um, 
um, Anaconda or like some, <laughs> a lot of like your mid nineties action movies where they were really getting into CG where it just looks so terrible. Yeah. I'll take a little, uh, miniatures and, uh, oh, projection screens. Practical. Well, I mean, pr- projection screens and stop motion, eh, but definitely miniatures and that sort of practical effects world just always, always looks better to me. Yeah. You can't beat it. Yeah. Um, but we didn't even introduce, we didn't even talked about who shot this film. It's uh, Jost Vacano. Mm-hmm. He had worked on Das Boot. Yep. A very highly lauded film in its own right, which I've actually not seen. Oh, have you not? I haven't. Okay. He also he- shot Starship Troopers, Hollow Man, Showgirls, Total Recall, and here's one for you, Never Ending Story. Yeah, the Never Ending Story. Um, and then Phil Tippett was responsible for the special effects, particularly the Ed 209 animation sequences. So I definitely have to recognize him. Um, but yeah, the the Murphy scene in the hospital to me is the highlight. But I also love, too, the way that they did those sort of interstitial, like the commercials and the... Dude, those are great, aren't they? Like, and, and the uh, uh, the news. Right, like the exactly. News the news. Yeah. So they had actually, they actually brilliantly made the choice to shoot those on video, which is perfect it was great like mm-hmm. it really i love the way that they they end up coming through something yep. about it looks really interesting yeah i already talked about the low angle shots um murphy's view from the but again i guess to really drive that home murphy's view point from the during the new year's eve party do you remember that he's like there and they're having a party and then the girl comes and like yeah 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 kisses him kisses him yeah and then falls down which apparently was not <laughs> was just like a moment that they captured like the oh, I just thought she was down. just like yeah no. I thought it was just like a drunken New Year's <laughs> Eve party and she fell backwards. Uh, again, the gas station sequence, just that you know epic explosion and then uh you know Robocop kind of like through the fire and everything yeah beautiful love that. Um, I thought it was an also great too is the way that they did the viewpoint of of robocop with sort of that interlaced video feed sort of feel you know what i mean where it was like it felt like a digital display oh yeah 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 Mm -hmm. which verhoven said the inspiration for this was the the artist pierre mondrian who did those very like stark black sort of rectangular and square lines and it with different colors. Mm-hmm. I, don't know, I thought that was cool. I've always thought P.A. Mondrian was was a really was one of my favorite artists actually. So oh. that was a neat touch. Um all right, we've already talked about Ed 209. I really liked um one of my favorite scenes visually was the nightclub scene where Robocop shows up. <laughs> this is actually after he's gone rogue and I think he comes after Ray Wise. Yeah, he comes after Ray Wise. Ray Wise kicks him in the groin. Yeah. <laughs> and they do kind of a, I don't know, it's kind of a goofy sound effect there. It's like, dink. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like, like when, like, like uh, I can't remember if he knocks the gun out of his hand or whatever, but, like, it flies into somebody else's hand. The dude's, like, just dancing with the gun. Like, just some extra. Vo- uh, Verhoeven actually made a cameo in that scene. But I thought the it was a cool looking nightclub. I liked the way it was lit. I think it had a sort of a red tint to everything. Mm-hmm. 
and it looked like a fucking cool place. Like, I want to go party there. It looked like <laughs> something, you know. Everybody was dressed all like punk punkish and kind of future vibe. So I, I definitely dug that quite a bit. Any other uh, cinematography moments um, you want to chat about? I'm looking through my notes. Um, again, I just uh, everything we've already mentioned, and then again, the junior de- executive death, as well as Murphy's death. Um, just the way that those two scenes specifically were filmed as well. All right. Um, ready to jump into a little bit of the writing here? Okay. So this film was written by Edward Neumeyer and Michael Miner. And I have to say, these guys did a fucking amazing job with this script. What a great <laughs> script. Right. I love it. The subtext, all the... I mean, we'll talk about more once we get into the themes. But these guys, I think, were just so brilliant at really taking the the trends that were happening in the late 80s and just extrapolating them to their logical conclusion. Mm-hmm. And I think they're the satire element of it and just their ability to sort of capture that sort of r- aggressive, like 80s Reagan era, yeah. you know, was just absolutely so, I mean, just so prescient. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we'll talk about that again once we tackle um, tackle the themes later, which I think to me is maybe the, the most fun aspect of this film. And when I was watching this movie, and I, I didn't know um, until I went ahead and double checked, but as I was, I, I knew that um, Starship Troopers was a Verhoeven film, but I, I have a lot more uh, background with Starship Troopers than than Robocop. And as I was watching this, I'm like, dude, the guy that wrote Starship had to have written this because I mean, there there are just such parallels right. in the, the way commercials. the commercials and just the way that the film is kind of constructed and everything. I'm like, there, there's definitely a connection here. Uh, the dude is very, very specific in the world that, that he's telling. And I think, uh, yeah, I, I think the writing was fantastic. And Starship Troopers, also a very, very under the radar satire, just yep. like Robocop. Mm-hmm. It might be one that we'll have to talk about one day. I mean, it's, it's well down the list. And especially yeah, since yeah, we've yeah, already, yeah. Sure. we're already doing Robocop, you know, there's a lot of overlap there, but, it might be an interesting one mm-hmm. to talk about someday. Um, so he was actually inspired by Blade Runner and the concept of a of a human wrestling with being a machine, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, especially since obviously we've talked about Blade Runner, Blade Runner, another one of my favorite films. So nice to see that sort of bleed over, mm-hmm. and I guess that make that sort of makes sense though. Ultimately, yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? Um, since I like both, um, but I mean a lot of movies in, in this time frame too. You know, whether early '80s to mid '80s, because I, I imagine when he wrote RoboCop was if, before it ever got green lit. So I imagine it was probably there were drafts of it in the early '80s. I'm assuming so around the same time of Blade Runner. But there were tons of movies that had kind of like futuristic cops. Uh, this this idea and then robots. There was like that shoot there was another movie like similar that was called i think it was called what was it like runaway that had like tom Selleck and it was uh i think gene simmons of kiss was like the bad <laughs> guy oh my god um but they were again just futuristic cops i mean that was that was kind of like all the rage in the uh early to you know mid 80s one of the most brilliant writing moments too to me is that whole Nukem commercial mm-hmm. that was so fucking spot on like it almost sounds, it reminds me of like the pol- what you would hear politicians saying, like you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, but the kid, the kid that's like, 
Pakistan is threatening my border. <laughs> like, that is fucking great. Like, that is genius. Mm-hmm. And the way that they pulled off the look of it and everything, that was that was so fucking great. That was brilliant. Yeah. The commercials were great, but yeah, Nukem was awesome. It was uh, it was a really brilliant way to sort of, especially since they we sort of get the cold open with that cable news segments and then the commercials, because I think it's like a cable news segment, and then we cut to that heart commercial, like a replacement heart. Yeah. It was really great at communicating, like establishing what kind of world you're in, and a just very sort of... Sh- Sort of show it's it's telling a little bit, but it's more show. You yeah, know what I mean, which I thought was a an interesting way to kind of build the world and establish everything mm-hmm. very smartly. It's a world where the president goes into outer space, um, and uh, what was it like the the gravity? Uh, what yeah, is it? Yeah, like? they lose power and lose. I guess the gravity <laughs> is shut off for like an hour or something, and then later on. Like the, the, the beams. Uh, yeah, the laser beams end up killing, killing something some, like 1,000 or like 10,000 people. Yeah, they, including a few like Congress people or, or I forget what it was. but I think it might have been former presidents. Yeah, former presidents. That's what it was. Yeah, two former presidents. Which makes you wonder, like, was this a coordinated, like, is this an yeah. accident? Accident? Yeah, exactly. Scare accident? Um, <laughs> I guess this, this should have been in the acting, but uh, Murphy's. Dead or alive, you're coming, coming with, with me. me. Which ended up becoming his mantra. He ends up repeating that line later on. Mm-hmm. To the same Robocop. Yeah, to the same guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that uh, character who I was talking about, Johnson, his, after they kill Murphy and he says, Good night, sweet prince. Like, that was a pretty funny, that was a pretty clever, like, satirical moment. Mm hmm. Um, Back to the, even like I wrote this to in my notes about that media break, so that which was the title of the cable news. Um, they say, You give us three minutes, we'll give you the world. Yeah, that was so good and like capturing, and especially in our world of like social media and clickbait and what have you, yep. like just the, yep. that was like really tapping into something. And it's the commercials and everything too, it's like, it gives you this, it's like you're a surrogate for the audience within the film itself. Mm-hmm. Bob Morton's talk as he is unveiling RoboCop where he's like, what is this? Like, you're going to be a badass or something. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. I can't remember if it was a badass, bad motherfucker, but he said, yeah, yeah. you're going to be a bad motherfucker. Yeah. Um, RoboCop twirling the gun. Well, was it something like, it was like, um, I think TJ laser, TJ laser. Yeah. Was the name of the television show that Murphy's son had loved and he had always worked on. He had, I guess the character spun is, I mean, that's the, an iconic, I don't know if it was for you too, but I always was like spinning the the gun on my finger. Anytime (laughs) I've had a gun, it's always like something I've practiced, um, with toy guns and whatever, but that's something that stuck with me Mm -hmm. as well. But so he, Lewis sees him Murphy doing it and then later on she notices that RoboCop does the same thing and yep. that's sort of her clue that like oh what something's up here mm-hmm. I want you know and then she starts to kind of probe him and see if he has any memories of his former life um and I don't know if this would is necessarily writing or directing but I thought it was really brilliant the way that they did the reveal for RoboCop because he's in the station 
and you hear those great sound effects, which the sound design again in this mm-hmm. film just brilliant. Yeah. And he's brought, so you see his upper body behind frosted glass, and you hear the sounds, and he takes you know several steps before you actually see the full on RoboCop, which I thought was a great way to slowly introduce and reveal what he looked like. Mm-hmm. Really well done there. I thought it was a good choice as well. Whenever they showed the two guys trying to rape that young lady, and they have like the Delta City billboard in the background yeah that was quite good madam what is it madam you have suffered um you have suffered a sexual assault i will call the rape <laughs> i will crisis call the rape crisis center yeah ma'am um, you have suffered an emotional shock yes that's it another great choice is in the ocp executive bathroom they have the stock tickers above the urinal that was brilliant <laughs> The chief after, so it was after Lewis tries to, she talks, has that great scene with Murphy, and then like he freaks, then something, does he have a, the nightmare after that? I can't remember. But anyway, so Bob Morton comes in to like chastise her and the police chief, and he's like, forget about it. This guy's a serious asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the chief was great too. And we already talked about the, the gasoline the gas station scene which was pretty brilliant um <laughs> bob morton doing cocaine with the two young ladies this is an image that has been in my head since i first saw this movie um i guess that says something about me but <laughs> i've always wanted to do coke I've, off of boobs yes i have always <laughs> wanted to do cocaine off of boobs because of this movie so it is true that movies are a bad influence. <laughs> movies are a, a horrible influence. <laughs> but I am I am not lying. I have fetishized that moment my, <laughs> uh, since 1987 or whenever I saw this movie. <laughs> when you were like three in 1987, I was like I was like five years old. Five. Yeah, cocaine was cool. It looked cool. It looked glamorous. Look, every not just said everybody in the 80s. A young man. executive. Yeah. I mean, he's like su- successful. He's <laughs> he's virile. <whatever. laughs> Uh, I love to, um, I thought it was great. And what the fuck? This was actually really weird. I just had this thought about the death scene with Bob too. Cause that's the scene where Boddicker shows up and kneecaps him. And like the ladies, he tells them to leave, Yeah, which I don't want to repeat, but yeah, that's yeah, yeah. definitely one of the most quoted lines from the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I love how he brings that CD for Dick Jones to like yep. play on the screen, like yep. what the fuck? Like he pre-recorded. I'm cashing you out. <laughs> yes, yes, that was so great. I'm cashing you out, Bob. Mm. Oh, just, just brilliant. Especially with the delivery from Ronnie Cox. Yeah, so again, great. until until Total Recall, I don't think he he had played a bad guy. He was always like famously like a good guy in like everything. Man, I forgot to talk about Ronnie Cox as well in our acting section, because not only, I mean, that's a great line that I love, but another one is the Bob Morton made a mistake. Yeah. Now I'm going to erase that mistake. Mm-hmm. So great. The, um, I think you better, I think you better do what he tells you. <laughs> uh, when the uh, two Oh nine, he's like, you've got 20 seconds to, you've com- got 20 seconds to comply. 
And then puts down the gun. You've got 15 seconds to comply. I thought the um, the RoboCop scene where, so it's, I guess he tries to arrest Dick Jones and then they assume that he's attacking him or whatever. Because then we find out there's oh, the, the fourth directive. There's yeah. a reveal of the fourth directive that RoboCop is not allowed to harm or arrest, or arrest anyone from the OCP executive board. So then we have him trying to escape. I Because th- I think the, actually the ED-209 shows up and they have a little... Like he ends up shooting RoboCop a bunch, mm-hmm. and he ends up escaping into the the parking garage where the entire police force is basically gathered there, and they start just opening up fire yeah. on him, which is a really kind of tragic scene. And he's doing those, and Weller does such a great job with those motions, and ends up just narrowly escaping. But mm-hmm. there's something about it; it's it's reminiscent of Frankenstein. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I was gonna say just more. I think of more like some type of almost like a buffalo or an elephant or some like a big animal that is you know maybe aggressive but not mm. not like a tiger you know what i mean mm-hmm. not something that is like a predator necessarily but right maybe okay. something that is threatening but really only because of its it's like mass yeah. you know what i mean like yeah. in the same way that robocop is sort of yeah he's threatening but he's a good guy, right? Yep, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it, re- it really captured that sort of wounded animal mm-hmm. aspect of it. When really I, great. And from an emotional level, too, on, on the writing, just like you really sympathize with, he's just like, just a barrage of bullets. Yep. You can barely even function. Yeah, like when I was watching that, it, it just reminded me of like Frankenstein's monster, you know, like the the, the townspeople and the villagers coming after. Oh, that's a good coming, call. Yeah, yeah brilliant. Com- okay. That's when I when I was watching that. I'm like, oh yeah, this is Frankenstein's monster right here, the creation that you know now the people that created him are are turning against him. I thought it was great. Uh, we haven't even mentioned I'd buy that for a dollar. Yeah, <laughs> actually, that was one of the notes I had on there. I'd buy that for a dollar, which I think again the writing, the writers really capturing that like sort of trash TV element that. I don't know if it, I'm trying to even struggle to think if there was anything comparable to w- where things have gone in television at that, you know what I mean? In mm-hmm. the 80s, because that was just like 87, you know, cable was really just a fledgling. Well, I'm trying to think. I think ESPN was the first cable network, and I think they launched in 78 or 79. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure. I, I feel like CNN had launched in 85, maybe. I mean, HBO was around, too. HBO was, yeah. I think HBO was like 1980, 82, somewhere in there. And then I'm pretty sure CNN was 85, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. You, sh- you should know that, being from Atlanta. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, but yeah, I'm going to lose my Atlanta card <laughs> right now. Ted Turner is going to call me later on and say, dude, turn in your badge. Oh, man. I thought that, I mean, another great scene for the satire of it is, we already talked about it, but where they get the those crazy guns to kill RoboCop, and they're just basically... The, the dis- military-grade, like, yeah. They basically destroy that entire city block, mm-hmm. which was just fucking hilarious. And there's, like, that one sort of final explosion that's really a huge one. Apparently, like, the actors didn't know that... <laughs> if you look, go back and watch, actually it's a like they jump out like their reactions are genuine because they didn't expect like apparently people got kind of heated after that 
after that scene. Because <laughs> it's actually, they shoot into a shop, and it has a pretty wild Oh, explosion. when they're blowing up the buildings? Yeah. yeah. Um, I thought it was great, too. This is not quite writing either, but maybe so. Is whenever RoboCop shows up at the end, and there's the Ed 209 stationed outside of OCP headquarters, and he blows them up, and then the t- the Ed 209's legs are just like yeah, kind of like flopping, wobbling around, yeah. and then they like fall down, and its toe like <laughs> kind of shakes a little bit before it yeah, yeah, yeah. gives out. That was brilliant, really funny. Anything else in uh, in terms of writing that kind of sticks out for you? Um, no, 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 no. I think we've nailed it. I'm, I might come up with something here just in other discussions, but yeah. yeah. I think with themes kind of have a little bit of overlap with, yeah. with the writing. Yep. Especially kind of what inspired the writers. But um, I have some sort of miscellaneous topics that I grabbed out. Um. One was mentioning the Basil Palladora score, which was great. Um, you know what's funny? I did this remind you there was like some theme that reminded me of almost um like the Rambo theme at some point. Um I'm not gonna lie, I've never seen Rambo. You've never seen what? never seen Rambo. None of the Rambos. Mm-mm. I think I've seen maybe like ten minutes of a Rambo. Holy the shit. closest thing to Rambo I've ever seen is Hot Shots Part Two, <laughs> which also Miguel Ferrer is. Yes, in. yes, <laughs> brilliantly, and it's even really funny because they make fun of both films too because they say like the body count because there's that one scene where like they're just topper harley's like shooting up and they're like oh the body count is bigger than this robocop rambo one rambo two blah 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 i thought it was interesting just miscellaneously that whenever bob is writing up to with uh his his buddy with his buddy a baby food guy baby food guy (laughs) they write up to the 95th floor just a nice little detail there, I think. Um, I think the the uh, Bob's buddy, I think he calls RoboCop like Robo. Like, go get him, Robo, or something like that. So there were some scenes with Mar- in the early on with Murphy and Lewis that are in downtown Dallas. You can see that Bank of America building and the Fountain Place building in the background. Definitely, if you like, keep an eye out for it. You'll see that. Um, you can see the old Sears warehouse in the background too, which now is a they converted into condos. It's a really like high end mm-hmm. condos and like what have you called uh, Southside on Lamar, which is still there. So it's like this giant like red brick building. Okay, um, that they converted. It was actually where that uh, I don't know if you paid attention to. The news within the last month and a half, that guy Botham Jean, that had but got killed by that off-duty cop in his yeah. own apartment. Yeah. So he lived at that place. Oh, okay. But it's definitely like if you ever go to downtown Dallas, you can see it yeah. very clearly. Um, the OCP headquarters is actually the Dallas City Hall with some exterior modifications, and I think they might have done some mat work there too. Mm-hmm. And there definitely is some mat work here and there for the skyline to give it that sort of really futuristic vibe. 
<laughs> I for, this. What about that? Okay, so the commercial with, or they're interviewing maybe that homeless guy with the sort of curly, <laughs> curly hair, and he's like, "Oh, it's the law of the jungle, man." Yeah. <laughs> oh, that guy was fucking I, great. I like, where did they find that guy? Like, yeah. What, what is this guy on? What did it? What was it? Did it say like unemployed person yeah, or homeless? Like that. Yeah. Okay, I talked about the steel mill being shot into Pittsburgh. Uh, oh, one of another scene from this movie that I've always loved is the scene where the guy crashes into the toxic waste, and then is sort of he's he's melting and then gets hit by the car and just explodes. Yeah, just like just like all mush. Just oh, that was so I don't know. Something is so satisfying about that. <laughs> Like I said, it gives it gives me ASMR. Yeah, to see it. I don't know. It's just like it's like when you hit a baseball with like the sweet spot of the bat. It's like you know what I mean. That's what, just what I imagine. Mm-hmm. That same kind of like satisfaction <laughs> sort of feeling that you get. <laughs> Apparently, that was a scene that the censors wanted to have cut out. But again, it was such a popular scene whenever they did screenings or like test screenings that mm-hmm. they refused to cut it out, thankfully. And we talked about this like uh, in the text, but dude, toxic waste was everywhere in the eighties. I think that was like one of like the biggest fears was just toxic waste and so many great like eighties movies. Like are, trauma. Yeah. The toxic. Yeah, exactly. The toxic yeah. Avenger and all that. Uh, so dude, like straight up, like crashing into just a giant thing of toxic waste. I'm like, Oh, that's, that's so satisfying for this film. <laughs> Another really violent moment that I loved was the way Boddicker, like, I guess when he, does he stab him in the neck with that spike? Mm-hmm. And his blood is like yeah, squirting, spreading out the neck. That was great. Love that too. It was kind of because it's like a, like a middle finger blade. So it's just kind of like, nah, fuck you. Yeah, that was great. Um, and then I've already tackled my other miscellaneous. So I'm ready to, jump into the themes because there's there's a lot yeah. theme wise to chew on yeah movies really really layered um and i'll just like list out the tro- this what this kind of focuses on or i guess some of the themes that i think about here just off the top and then we'll kind of dig into those one i think is so neo neoliberalism which is you know we talked a little bit about privatization of things like prisons and mm-hmm. military um, contractors and hell I you know Dick Jones is like we ha- we hell we practically are the military yep you know what I mean and we'll get into that too um, militarization of the police if you remember they had all they all had that the flak jackets on they mm-hmm. had the helmets on like they were constantly clad in that sort of riot gear which definitely I feel like in the last five to ten years you've seen a tremendous push in that direction yeah so Really brilliant. Um, drone warfare, the sort of cable news. N- like media. Yeah, yep. really capturing the media landscape. But not only that, but the sort of, you know, talked about how's that for a dollar, the mindless sort of TV mm-hmm. element, entertainment critique that they put in. So and then obviously with the with like the six thousand SUX and all these other things, so you've got the whole like idea of like consumerism and capitalism, which is obviously a big part in the film too. 
and even the mayor, remember the mayor, the former mayor is like holding all these people hostage and he's like, yeah, I want a, I want a car that yep. gets really shitty gas mileage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, I think like the 6,000 SUX, I think when it showed, it was like, it got like eight miles per gallon. Something like that. Uh, yeah, it was like 8.6 miles per gallon or something ridiculously stupid. And I, I can't remember if it was the, was it the guy who was in charge of the SWAT team or was it the mayor that said, I, well, or no, it was it was the guy in charge of the SWAT team's like, yeah, we'll even throw in a blah punked. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fucking great. Um, but I, I mean, the sort of protagonist ultimately in this film is the corporation omni consumer products mm-hmm. in many regards um they're wanting to manage the detroit police and i guess the idea being to drum up like crime in the area or do they i mean really the idea is uh yeah i mean are they trying to rid rid detroit of crime so they can build no, Delta I think, city i think they're trying to yeah exactly i mean they're i think they're trying to increase crime get rid of uh you know like the entire police because Boddicker's whole thing was he was a cop killer. That was, you know, so that was one of the things is to rid the city of, of cops. So the crime and they can go ahead and use oh, this yeah, robot to go do- in. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Um, I thought it was interesting too, that the cops are talking about going on strike. Yep. Um, that again plays into this whole, I, this whole capitalist critique that they have in the film about, you know, I guess could, because part of, Everything is, you know, combined with privatization, globalization, trade agreements, things like that, that really actually did happen in Detroit and really devastated mm-hmm. the city, uh, deindustrialization. Yeah. Um, and sort of that like austerity of there's not enough public funds to pay, you know, pay police officers. Mm hmm. And then I guess you can even really look at like gentrification in this film with the whole idea of like Delta City. Right. And, yeah. And then I mean, even like I had said earlier, Dick Jones mentions that, you know, they're operating in spaces that were traditionally nonprofit, things like hospitals, prisons, space exploration. Yep. So fucking what? Mm-hmm. Like that, I think I'm amazed that they had the prescience to get that right. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I think you could probably tell that military, I don't know, maybe that... Maybe they just were smart about knowing that the trend was already heading that way. Mm-hmm. But I I never would have thought that something like space exploration would have been privatized the way it has with SpaceX and what is uh what's the what's Bezos's company? I only I, I didn't know that Bezos has one. I only knew yeah of they're that. like they're the sort of two competing. I just yeah I know of SpaceX. I didn't know yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's crazy. Like I never would have guessed that that sort of thing was going to be privatized mm-hmm. or even the, pol- the military as well. Like now we have Blackwater and all these contractors that are working in Afghanistan and what have you. Don't forget. And, we're going to have space for us <laughs> and the space for us. <laughs> um, but also drone warfare, which really got ramped up mm-hmm. with the Obama administration. So definitely something like the ed 209 is like right on, yep. you know, just capturing that, Sort of similar idea. Yeah. It's pretty wild. For-profit prisons. Um, the way that they react to Kenny getting shot in the boardroom. 
is like it's not a big deal. Like nobody's really that upset by it. Like the yeah, the old man is more pissed off at how it's gonna sort of like make yeah, them look. And exactly, like, there there was something anything. about like profitability or something. Uh, uh, I forget what he was saying, but like this dude just got shot to shit, and they're they're talking about something entirely different. I mean, there was initial shock of like, oh, this guy's getting butchered, but no mourning of that guy's death. <laughs> but I think really captures sort of the crassness and just the I don't know the psycho the psychopathy of of the capitalist like mm-hmm. where it can go you know what i mean at that level oh here it is he says dick i'm very disappointed <laughs> that's all he says he's not like oh oh this is a travesty i can't believe that you know yep i'm very disappointed dick um i thought it was interesting too that they particularly in that scene with at the drug factory again, for lack of a better term. It's almost like a video game, right? Like, it reminds me of that sort of violence. Oh, when Robocop goes and shoots everybody? Yeah, you know, yeah. we're talking about how he's doing, like, no-look shots yep. and mm-hmm. things like that. And it's just like, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. really very much like a simple video game. We're now watching, I mean, the way that that is filmed, I mean, we're literally watching TJ Laser in action at this point. We're, you know, just watching this dude just reel off trick shots and and it is very like uh yeah video game that there's the scene it's really the i guess the the commodification of of murphy himself as a product mm-hmm. and morton mentions that like he's he doesn't have a name he's a product yep but also there's a part where you like you get a scene from robocop's perspective and you can hear Morton talking. Is like, oh, we were. They were. Somebody says we were able to save the arm. Yeah. And he's like, what? No. Why would we? No, we lose the arm. Lose it. Lose yeah. the arm. <laughs> no, we don't lose the arm. Uh, that's just again, just crazy. I already talked about the commercial, which, goddamn, like the rhetoric that they're using is so spot on. They're like, oh, you haven't diminished your MX supply. Hmm. And then what is Morton says, we're projecting the end of crime in 40 days. Yeah, it, it was something. It was like within, yeah, like 40 to 90 days or something. I forget what it was. Yeah. Dick Jones talking about Ed 209. Who cares if it worked? <laughs> Spare parts for 25 years. And I thought this really sort of tapped into that idea of planned obsolescence. So, yeah, it's like. We're gonna make this shitty product. Who who cares if it works? Like we'll get we'll make money on the back yep. end with repairs and spare parts and blah blah blah. So they like nickel and dime you to death instead of making a product mm-hmm. that is gonna last a long time. So that it's gonna re like that reinvigorates that cycle of consumption. And when you think about that in the context of something like cell phones and how that has become like the the cultural standard is, oh, every two years, you know, I think it's less now Yeah. since phones aren't subsidized. But before that, I mean, I'm just as guilty of it, of, oh, yeah, it's time for a new cell phone with a fucking another, like, lithium-ion battery. Well, it's also bullshit when, like, uh, companies are, you know... Throttling with, performance and shit. Yeah, too, exactly. Which Apple admitted to yeah. as well. Yeah, they admitted to it. Everybody else does it. Right. <laughs> so, I mean... Fuck this place. <laughs> right. Pissed off now. <laughs> 
RoboCop with his dreams that he has, mm-hmm. although he's apparently not supposed to have them. Um, so he's what's interesting here, and I didn't really grab onto this until I listened to the director's commentary and Peter Weller and the writers and the director sort of talking about how there was the first there was like this Christ metaphor mm-hmm. present with Murphy being executed and then resurrected and even taking it further to reference like when he gets his hand blown off like that's an element of that's mm. like a reference for stigmata yep which yeah, I, I, thought, I could see that which i thought was kind of interesting but also in the sense that there is again um i guess this idea of of dualism philosophical dualism that there's there's a difference between the mind and the body like that they're separate entities versus the idea that like the consciousness arises from the physical, like the brain is the seat of consciousness. But this is like obviously not the case because Murphy's brain is is dead. It's gone really. Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's a cyborg, but there's some sort of essence. There's a soul there that has remained in the body mm-hmm. somehow or what's left of his body. Mm-hmm. Well, his face. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I mean, they're, they did touch on the whole idea of kind of like that, the Christ metaphor that they're using, um, which I think is just a very popular, I mean, I mentioned Frankenstein, a similar idea, you know, just of us, I mean, like the idea of like a rebirth and creation, but so this one definitely uses it. And the idea of to, in this case, Murphy's brought back to save Detroit for, you know, all of its its sins. Nice. Nicely stated, sir. Thank you. One of the great scenes was, and this is maybe getting into, I think that idea of a robot or a, a human realizing it's a robot or like struggling with that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's really kind of goes through, it's whenever Robo goes to that mainframe and ends up tapping into the it with that fist spike. Oh, right. Yeah. And then he's like, sees Boddicker and he like starts to go through that whole thing. And that then triggers, like he finds his address and he goes to his old home, which is now for sale. And then we even have like drone real estate agents in there. Yeah. It's, it's, they kind of used, uh, it was like a precursor to, uh, the, the, the Johnny cab in a total recall. All right. Yeah. Good call. <laughs> good call. But man, what a tragic, moment or what a tragic scene whenever he's at the home like can you imagine wrestling with that like that whole trauma of like you had you know that you had this past life but Mm -hmm. you can't quite remember it fully yeah you're just like these these memories and glimpses and later he mentions that he can he can't remember them but he can feel them yep which is just oh that's just a tragic tragic yeah thing it i mean it it's fucking sad, man. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine being like you're trapped in a robot body, but you still have some like remnant? Yeah, of you your still have life? some essence of what you were. Right. Yeah. That's just oh, that's heavy. <laughs> that's so heavy and tragic. What I'm also like, not that this is slightly different, but this is just a whole idea of Robocop as this this thing. 
the whole idea is, you know, he's like this, uh, this perfect create, you know, like this new perfect future cop, but until he brings in a uh, like he doesn't arrest anybody. He, he, there's a lot of glass that's broken in this movie, you know, just throwing people around, um, or killing people, you know, but the idea of bringing people to justice or arresting people, um, doesn't happen until he has that element of when um, Kurtwood Smith is saying, you're a cop, you're a cop. And then he realizes like he, he take, you know, he's not, Ooh. he's not RoboCop. He's, he's a cop there. And shortly thereafter, you know, we, he loses, you know, like he loses the mask shortly, you know, after uh, those events. And, you know, he doesn't don the, the mask for the rest of the film, not too much further after, you know, he gets shot to shit and everything. But um, doesn't he say I'm a cop? Yeah, that's that's how that's why he doesn't point, kill right. him or something like that. And he he says book him, like you know what's the charge? He's a cop killer. Um, but until that point, anybody else that had faced uh, RoboCop either ended up, you know, in uh, uh, thrown into glass or or shot up, or he shoots them in the dick, or he shoots him in the dick. Yeah, <laughs> which you could argue is is justice under that scenario. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think back to that that scene in the home, because um, he also finds the coffee mug that says world's greatest husband. Mm-hmm. And he finds a picture of himself as Murphy with his wife and kids. And then he, he even has that flashback of his wife, like, and obviously, like, she's in a robe. So, you know, there's a little bit of like a sexual mm-hmm. undertone. And I guess like he, I don't wonder if he even realizes that like he can't even. Yep have an intimate relationship with a woman anymore Mm -hmm. and sort of that loss and the scene ends sort of castration. Yeah. The scene ends with that anger because he, he punches out the, uh, that futuristic like real estate agent. So, and he crumples up the photograph as well. And he crumples up the photo. There's like an ang like there's an anger resentment at being trapped in this, Mm -hmm. this like, like you said, Frankenstein's monster as a good way to describe it. Now we already talked about that. Um, another prescient thing about this film is how they are able to track RoboCop with that basically GPS monitor, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Miner, who is co-writer on the film, was talking about how he protested the Vietnam War, and he even was like in a roundtable they discussion. He was talking about corporate personhood so i think very much it was very conscious to slip these critiques of where capitalism was going Mm -hmm. whenever they were writing this film and i I mean it's fucking amazing how well they really captured it and Mm -hmm. you know really like looking back holy shit it's amazing i think that's why this film has such relevance is you know it's like i loved it as a kid just on like the action, cool sci-fi, the the extreme violence of it, I did like. Um, but then going back and realizing, oh, this was this was satir, this was satirizing its own genre, yeah, and really being subversive in its critique of sort of the political economy of the neoliberal, the Reagan era, austerity measures mm-hmm. and privatization of all these types of industries. It's just, it's crazy. It's, it was, it brings a whole nother like level of appreciation to me for this film Mm -hmm. and just makes it to me an all time classic. Like 
Oh, it's it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Um, actually, Weller, Peter Weller had a great quote too about RoboCop. He says something about the images of the image of the resurrection and some there being something transcendent that escapes the material. I thought that was just like beautiful way to describe that. Uh, what did he say? Um, he talking about the the sort of that image of the resurrection of, of oh, RoboCop. Okay, and there being something transcendent, so that transcendent soul that we talked about mm-hmm. um, escaping that just material. And I don't know if that that was interesting. Even though I'm definitely not, I don't know. That's more like philosophical idealism, and I'm more of like materialist or at least compatibilist. Mm-hmm. So idealism would be more so, instead of, all right, materialism is, okay, this stuff, consciousness, there is no soul, everything is arising from a physical process, manifesting itself. Now, ph- philosophical idealism is more so, there is, almost like like Pl- like Plato, his idea of the forms. So there is an ideal, like there is a soul outside of the body mm-hmm. that is eternal, that predates like, you know what I mean? Like this, it's an an eternal thing that is outside of us that inhabits the body versus the body is the soul emanates from the body. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, it's kind of the, they're like the reverse of one another essentially. But, um, another little random moment too, that they captured here that I wouldn't have caught if it wasn't for the, um, director's commentary is that they said, in the police station, and I think it's early on in the whenever they're talking about the strikes and what have you, is the locker room is gender neutral. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which I didn't quite catch, but I thought that was that's again like, god damn, these guys, these writers, man, they knew their shit. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's really all I have in terms of themes. I mean, we could go on and on about, and like the I, I, maybe I didn't really think too much of the gender neutral because again same writer did starship trooper same concept oh, yeah, cause they're having the shower yep. okay the communal mm-hmm. shower yeah yep. i didn't even think about that but good call yeah but damn what a what a great movie what a really i mean so subversive like yeah you, who would have ever thought like you know on the surface it just seems like oh this is a dumb kind of shoot 'em up yeah action like yeah. just over the top 80s because that, like that, machismo like that was the shit that was coming out you know i mean there were I mean, obviously, you have a movie like Blade Runner, which was really, really good, and you had Terminator, which is really good, and Robocop, which is really good, but there were slews and like just tons of shit that like came out of that had similar concepts. So this movie did something a little bit different, and to go ahead and satirize this genre and multiple things that are going on at that its time, it's more than just a shoot 'em up action movie, futuristic cop. With a ridiculous title. <laughs> right. But it tells you everything. It tells you everything. And I'm pretty sure the movie was at least a moderate to decent success film for a PG-13 or R-rated film. It had to have been R. I'm pretty, actually, pretty it, sure. Yeah, I think it was R. Had to Because this is like the 80s. It wasn't until like the early to mid or mid to late 90s that they started to really go for the PG-13. Yeah. So there were definitely hard R. Mm-hmm. I think there was, I forget what others there were <clears throat> at the time, but there's definitely some other hard R, like, man, I yeah. love that shit. Yeah. I love it. Um, we'll have to talk about, too, at some point, the sequel to this film, which is, kind of takes, it 
the, takes this even runs with it even further. Mm-hmm. Did Weller do the second one? He did. Yeah. Because I know there were like three or four Robocop yeah. films, but I know that he wasn't in at least one, right? I don't know that he was in the third, but I've know. never even seen the third. Gotcha. I I've vaguely, I vaguely remember the second one. I just remember something about, maybe it was in an interview, that Peter Weller hated like donning the costume or something like that. They had to put fans because it was so freaking hot. Um and when did they film this? Do you know? I mean, well, 86, but they filmed it in Dallas. And I'm just thinking, like, if they oh, filmed right? it. Yeah, what time of year? Like, yeah, if it would have been, like, Dallas in the summer. Oh, right. Shit. Like, I can't imagine putting that costume on. Seriously. You know, now that you mentioned Dallas again, too, it's funny. You can also see Reunion Tower a lot in some of the shots, which is, like, so it's this tower with, like, a ball. It's a big ball on mm-hmm. the top that lights up and stuff that you can see like many times in the film. Mm-hmm. Another funny moment that I, or funny story about this film is that whenever Ver, Verhoeven first read the script, he like threw it, he like threw it away and it only because his wife like picked up the script and read it and like told him to take another look at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was like, Oh, this, this is shit. Yeah. <laughs> And I guess with a title like RoboCop, as you mentioned, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. But damn. But, what a and, great movie. And it's crazy now when you think of like the um, what we know of it here in America, like the Verhoeven films. I mean, um, that he if he like threw that away. But like this was kind of like the beginning for him when you look at, you know, by doing Total Recall or Starship Troopers or what else did he have? Um similar genre like hollow man right i mean another kind of concept like that i mean obviously showgirls is a little bit different but yeah he found himself a little genre of that like exploitative but like oh the the over the top violence of robocop was like part of the satire which i think is interesting and i i don't know that i've ever seen showgirls all the way through but i almost wonder if that's like a same element that he was going with in showgirls as far as like let's like let's take this sexual exploitative shit to its Mm -hmm. you know to its to the like nth degree i think he was to critique the society's focus and like objectification yeah uh i think that was probably what the intent what the intention was unfortunately elizabeth berkeley was just so so terrible um isn't kyle mclaughlin in that as well damn right he is (laughs) yeah um i have seen that movie um. Yeah, that came out. That came out when I was like a, a teenage boy. There was no oh, way. I definitely I, remember. There was no way I wasn't going to see Jesse Spano, like <laughs> you know, like, uh, doing strip teasings. But um, yeah, not a not a good film. But he also did Basic Instinct. Um, that was a good film. At least I, or at least I thought it was a good film for a time in my life. I don't know. I had, haven't seen that movie in fifteen twenty years, but. You know, I don't think I've ever seen Basic Instincts all the way through. I've definitely seen, obviously, I've seen the famous Sharon Stone leg uncrossing, right, recrossing scene. But um, yeah, uh, but that had a really good, really good cast. But I don't know. I think I'm a big Michael Douglas fan. Uh, he's he's half Bermudian, so you know, <laughs> nice. okay. Uh, so yeah, his mother is uh, Bermudian, so he actually lives in Bermuda. Him and uh, Catherine Zeta Jones. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So I think most Bermudians 
have a bit of a soft spot for Michael Douglas. So yeah. Um, but yeah, Michael Douglas, a man with an incredible sexual appetite. as Right. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember the Chappelle joke about that. He's like, um, he's talking about young Dave Chappelle, a man with a sexual appetite that would make Michael Douglas seem gay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which I thought was fucking great. But uh, back to the sequel to this film, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is really funny because Frank Miller was the screenwriter. Really? Yes, absolutely. Interesting. And Was it a good film? Was it... Was it ooh, it was... Decent, uh, or no? It's a movie that I saw with my grandmother. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I think it's even more extremely violent than this film really? okay. was. Yes, it was even crazier. I was almost like grossed out by how over the top, maybe that, and I was somewhat embarrassed to be watching this movie yeah. in the theater with my grandmother mm-hmm. while all this crazy shit's going on. Like, what's really wild about the sequel, this one of the scenes that really fucking freaks me out is so they try to make new Robocops and this was brilliant too, is they have like this lab like test footage mm-hmm. and it's like they're rolling out the new RoboCop and it's got a couple of like lab assistants where like one of the RoboCops ends up pulling off its head and like digging out its brain and then one has a gun, pu- one pulls out the gun, it like shoots both of the lab assistants <laughs> that are present and then shoots itself in the head. Mm-hmm. It's wild. Yeah. And then the villain is ah i forget the actor's name but he's a really fucking creepy dude he was he had a bit part in heat hmm he was the guy that sold uh de niro's character like the information about that bank he kind of has like a he's kind of baldish but with long hair and like a ponytail hmm he's been in a lot of yeah stuff but yeah the sequel is fucking it's nuts there's even this little kid who is it's a bad guy it's it's wild <laughs> the old man is really even he's more of a villain mm-hmm. in that and then oh it's wild too because the uh the sexual there's like a weird sexual scene where with a robocop not with because they make a new robocop but the problem so they were having problems with these prototypes mm-hmm. that were killing themselves or what have you so then they decide, this crazy like psychiatrist lady has this idea, well, let's let's try a criminal um, who is addicted to drugs because then we can control them with the drug. Mm. They're more, you know, malleable or whatever. They'll be under their control. Um, so that's what they do. They end up taking this guy who is like the drug kingpin mm-hmm. and he becomes RoboCop 2 essentially. Um, but there's like a really weird scene where he like he has this spike that like flips out from his like abdomen. Okay. And it's like this kind of like sexual innuendo scene and he like flips it out like he's aroused, but he's a robot. <laughs> uh, it's fucking that was part of probably why I was disturbed at the time at like, you know, like eight or nine years old. Probably even younger than that. Uh are you talking Tom Noonan? I think so. Uh Balder, a uh, bald guy. Yeah. Um n- was he in Last Action Hero? Did you ever see that movie? Yes, yes, okay. yeah, yes, Tom, exactly. Okay. That yeah. he was the bad. I was gonna yeah. say, God, I, there was that was in my brain somewhere. Tom I just couldn't quite like put it together, but yeah, I did, that's him. Yeah, I, I cheated. I pulled this up. <laughs> I, I, but yeah, a wild, wild movie. 
And I mean, written by Frank Miller. Yeah. That's crazy, right? But anyways, any other, any other RoboCop moments or discussion? Um, Anything burning that we haven't talked about? No, it, it, it was better than I anticipated, like rewatching this. Like I said, I haven't seen this in a long time. And I think, you know, part of me was like, yeah, I, I love RoboCop, but admittedly, n- haven't really seen it in a long, long time to not by any means a, um, yeah, well versed with this film. But it was fun uh, checking it out again. And it was, it exceeded expectations. Definitely. Yeah. I have I have one final thought or question for you would be what did you think about the pacing of the movie? A lot of people compliment the pacing of this film and say it's like really tightly executed except for maybe that drug drug lab scene. That's drug lab, that's what I should have called it, not factory. Drug, <laughs> drug lab sounds like more legit. And you want to snort coke off of, <laughs> of Come on, get it together. <laughs> um, I thought the pacing was fine. I think I think it was interesting. Um, you know, twenty five minutes in, you know, killing the the protagonist. Um, I love the the way the vignettes. I think the movie moves around, uh, moves pretty well. Uh, from a story perspective, um, it's an interesting take to make you feel empathy for a character by just seeing him get completely killed because. We really don't know anything about about Murphy. Like it's true, right? Um, we we know that he has a son, but we don't know if he's married uh, because there's some there's some definite like eye fucking that's going on between him and Lewis. I mean, there there's they're they're partners, but there's like this flirtation thing that's right. going yeah, on. That's true. So you don't know. Well, you know, is he a good guy? You know, is he happily married? Is he divorced? We know he has a son. He's practicing this thing for his son. So we don't. We don't really have a lot of, you know. Um, yeah, they don't really build him up. Mm-mm. There's no Mm-mm. like saving the cat, yeah, so to speak. For yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. Uh, so you you fall for the guy. You care about the guy because you of how how brutal you know his um, you know his death is, and it and you know blowing off his hand and and then just see him just, you know, get up and, uh, they're just kind of like laughing at, you know, what's happening to him and just shooting up and now cracking white, like cracking jokes and shit while like brutally killing you. Yeah. And it's like, okay, all right, well, this is, this is my hero. (laughs) I'm, I'm going to root for this guy, even though until this point, I haven't really been given any reason to care about him. Good call. You know what? Um, here's an interesting thought though. Um, so Weller, I mean, Murphy is like the blonde-haired, blue-eyed, you know what I mean? He's like all-American mm-hmm. sort of guy. Obviously, you and I, I mean, he, we kind of like have the same physical features almost, yep. you know what I mean? We were kind of dirty blonde, yep. blue-eyed guys. So yep. I wonder if that's part of it. Like, is there an identification with like as a white male that resembles this guy that we just automatically are able to slip into that mm-hmm. sort of identification with the protagonist? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Yeah. But so just to answer the original question, <laughs> I, I don't really have any problems with the pacing from a, from a story structure. That was the only thing. And I thought it was just interesting because yeah. I, I still care. I still care, but I care because of how graphic and how painful and just, yeah, how, how fucked up his death was and like his rebirth and um, 
those 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 moments where he's dying, you know, and you, you see like his life, you know, flashing before you know his eyes. Um, I think I think it's a I th- I think it was an interesting way to build empathy in in a character. It was just a really interesting interesting take. And I think without it, I don't know if I would have cared for Murphy as much. Interesting. Yeah, I wonder how else they would have. Have you? You haven't seen the new the remake of this, have you? I did honestly until you just said that. I didn't know there was a remake. I think the remake. I know there was a TV show at some point, but I think that was still like back in the eighties or nineties or something. Maybe there wasn't a TV show. I don't know. The remake starred, I think, Joel Kinnaman. Maybe who's that? Ah, uh, he was in. He was in Suicide Squad. You probably didn't see that either, though. Uh, no. Um, Wait, that's not true. I think I did see Suicide Squad. I think it was on HBO like a month or four or five ago. Joel Kinnaman was the guy that was sort of the military guy that that sort of ran the outfit, essentially. I know who that guy is. Okay. So I'm pretty sure that he was the star. And then Michael Keaton played the villain. Michael Keaton's in it? Yeah. Now I might have to see it unless it's terrible. And I think Kate Beckinsdale as well. Okay. Um, I think she's apparently married to the guy that directed it or something. Huh. When was Which it? I, I How, when did seen, it come out? It came out in 2014, I believe. Okay. Okay. So I haven't seen it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it has like the the nuance, right? That this film, dude. Does. What? But like, what remake? Like action film? You know, True, I, I, right. I'm not really trying to open up that can of worms, but I mean, just like the Total Recall, like it's. Um, I mean, Verhoeven himself said that it's both of the remakes were too serious, whereas yeah. I think this had a you know was somewhat t- tongue in cheek with all of it mm-hmm. and that's why it worked on a you know something different yeah than just a run of the mill sort of action film yeah i'm gonna have to yeah pisses me off that they made a remake i know right me too especially as like edgy and subversive and yeah. wild as this movie is that they made a shitty remake that yeah. doesn't have really any of those things that made the original great and it's not necessarily irony that it's a shitty remake but it's <laughs> it, it it's just like dude like like did you not foresee this and you know like by, by taking this on what they went ahead and did and what they were calling out in 1987 anything that you do that's not good it's you're just making that look even more prophetic <laughs> and brilliant right. by being a shitty remake who cares if it works yeah exactly <laughs> there you go. That, that, that's that's it that's the way to end it right there <laughs> exactly all right well uh andrew thanks again for dude uh, thank you so much um yeah i really appreciate it yeah man this was uh, i've been itching to talk about this movie i'm glad you got a chance to revisit it and and share a little bit of why i love learn about why i love this film so much primarily what two things like snorting cocaine off of a woman's <laughs> breasts and uh, a guy that has been dumped in toxic waste exploding. Nice. Yes, that is the two highlights right there. <laughs> but we will sign off this week and we'll have Andrew back soon. I, we're going to talk to do a Christmas movie, maybe? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, we're, yeah, we'll do something in December. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to do it's not going to be like Christmas story. I'm going to find something. I'm going to find something non-conventional, maybe like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang or something like that. I don't know. Right on. Well, we will be back soon. I'll be back uh, hopefully next week. So tune in, guys. We are signing off this week.